The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Closing Bell on this Friday. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. This make-or-break hour begins with Musk's moment of truth and whether naming a new Twitter CEO is just the thing to jumpstart Tesla shares. Short-circuited lately on pricing and demand concerns and the road ahead for tech overall. Here is your scorecard with 60 minutes to go in regulation. The Dow down eight of the past nine days, pacing for its second negative week in a row. Energy, the worst sector this week's banks, have you know, have been a big drag nearly every day. Take a look at the NASDAQ. It's been up four of the past five sessions as tech continues to catch a bit of a bid, especially Alphabet, up 10% this week alone after holding that big event out in California, saying not so fast, Microsoft, on all that AI talk. It does bring us to our talk of the tape, Elon's exit. Well, sort of, as he names a new CEO for Twitter, presumably to spend more time on everything else he's got going on, including Tesla. Shares had ripped, then dipped, and now seem to be looking for some momentum. Can they find it? That's the big question. So let's ask EMJ's Eric Jackson. He owns Tesla shares. He joins us now. It's good to see you again. What was your reaction when you heard that he had finally named a CEO for Twitter? Well, I think it's unquestionably good news, Scott, um, for Tesla shareholders. Uh, this stock is off about 40 bucks since the beginning of April on all the concerns that you mentioned. Um, and I, I just think it's, it's, it gives the opportunity for people to reassess Tesla, uh, to say he's gonna, obviously going to have more time to focus, uh, not as distracted from Twitter. And the, the great thing that Tesla has going for it uh, is it's, it's, you know, we can, we can talk about gross margins and what they will be for the year, but the number of deliveries this year are going to be significantly higher than last year. And if we've learned anything this week, especially with the Disney results and Disney Plus, Growth is better than shrinkage. And so Tesla has major growth behind it. I think investors will look look at that again now and see that the shares do look attractive between now and the end of the year. Sure, but I mean, you, you obviously have to care about margins. You have to care about the number of times they're willing to cut prices to spur demand, no? Uh, I think for Tesla, there's really two two battles uh, where it's you know it's waging war. One is in China, and one is the rest of the world. In China, it they're in a dogfight. Uh, there's no question, and so uh, you can you can make the case that you know the, those pricing cuts are coming from like having to keep up with with uh, you know with with the competition over there. On the other hand, though. You know, look at Li Auto's results this week. China is is a growing market. It's a booming market for EVs. So, um, you know, they, they they should make money in China. The rest of the world, though, Tesla's really the you know in the, in the catbird seat. And so, I don't think that the price cuts are coming from weakness, but but rather strength. And they still have a lot of you know a lot of um, profit margin to kind of work with uh, when making those cuts. And it puts others like GMs and Fords of the world you know, in a, in a much more difficult place to compete with them. What do you make of the market reaction here? Obviously, when the news broke, and we did it yesterday in Closing Bell, um, the stock had popped, and perhaps for obvious reasons, and then it was up slightly again this morning, and then it's given it all back. What, what do you, you think is up with that? 
I, I mean, I just put it down to the, you know, the Nasdaq's down today. Um, you know, Tesla, by, you know, compared to a lot of names today, is actually outperforming. Uh, I think it's still a good news is good news story. Um, you know, let's see how it does, the, you know, next week, into next week. But I do think that this is definitely positive news. You know, some people are saying, oh, you know, he's, he's not going to be able to give up controls. He's going to be in the hair of the, the, the new CEO. But I would point to Gwen Shotwell at uh, SpaceX, who really, you know, really runs SpaceX there as president and COO. Um, Elon's involved in SpaceX, obviously, but he sort of lets Gwen kind of run the show. Uh, so there's, I, I don't, I don't see any reason why that won't happen here at Twitter too. Well, I mean, if, if, you know, the new CEO Linda is going to be, you know, presumably really with the, the big focus on on ads and and ad revenue. I mean, Musk is still going to be head of product, right? I mean, so maybe some of the questions about what is his role truly going to be, maybe they're valid. Because it's not like he is exit stage left completely. No, he's, I mean, but he's a, he's a product guy first and foremost. And so he's obviously going to stay involved tinkering with the, the Twitter product or the X product, whatever he's going to call it now, um, just as he just as, as he does at, at Tesla and, and SpaceX. But... Just, you know, as we saw on the investor day for Tesla a few weeks back, I mean, he brought up this uh, 30 or so people. You know, there's, there's a bigger team behind him. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be a good thing for Twitter that Elon is, is not the main kind of point of interface with especially a bunch of advertisers. You know, I don't think that's worked out so well uh, this year. So, you know, he'll, he'll be involved, but he can, he can sort of do what he does best. You know, I just learned, you know, a few moments ago, in fact, that you just sold Uber shares. I want to pivot there because I'm kind of surprised. Now, I know the stock has had a nice move, but we're not even back to the IPO price yet. Why are you getting out now? I thought the story was just kind of turning much more positive than it's been. It's I mean, if you compare it to kind of middle part of last year, you're talking about a stock that's moved up 50%. So it's it's had a great run from you know being unfairly kind of punished and sold off last year. Um, you know I think Dar's done a good job. Uh, I do think there's a lot of upside still ahead uh, in, in Uber shares, Scott. I, I still like it. Um, I'd like them to see them being even more aggressive uh, against uh, you know the likes of Lyft, who's kind of fading away into the distance. So how do you do that? Me, I mean, how, how do you be not- more aggressive? How do you be more aggressive against Lyft? I mean, what what more do you want? Well, I, you know, and obviously AI is the buzzword right now. Um, and most people talk about AI in relation to the big tech names. But uh, and, and a bunch of smaller tech names like Chegg, for instance, have you know blown up in the last couple of weeks because of AI's effects. But there are going to be some smaller companies that are AI winners. I think Uber could very well be one of those um, in terms of how they're investing in it, in terms of optimization of the fleet you know, management that, that's out there, getting getting cars in the right spots to pick up um, you know, deliveries and so forth. I think there there is a lot of upside still. I, I just think that just in the last couple of weeks, this is a stock that's moved up from, you know, I think it was in the high 20s to, you know, now we're now we're in the high 30s. So, yeah, um, no, for, I mean, it, look, it's up 55 percent year to date. But when you talk about selling out of things like Uber, which you still like because they've gone up a lot. My first reaction is, man, I, I, do you think that you should do that broadly in big tech as a lot of those stocks have had? You know, maybe not 55% gains year to date, but some of them, I don't know, they're like a double. Meta has almost doubled since its November low. And take a look at some of the gains that we've gotten in some of the, like, you know, Alphabet, Microsoft. They're like, we're talking 30%. 
in just a very reasonably short period of time. Is it time to take profits elsewhere too? It's, it, I mean, it, the first half of this year has been the year of you know, big tech for sure. And so all these names have done really well. Google's had a great week, as you pointed out at the beginning of the show, but really it's, it's just sort of catching up to uh, you know, the same level, year-to-date levels as a, as a Microsoft. You know, it was probably undeservedly kind of pushed aside as it was sort of seen as uh, it was going to be hurt by AI. And, you know, and this week now people are saying, oh, well, actually, it's going to be a beneficiary. So they've, ha- they've all had great runs. Um, I think they all have bright futures. Um, I do think it's smart to be thinking about taking some, some of the, the chips off the table with some of the big tech names. But my call for the rest of the year, Scott, is more uh, I think that this rally can broaden out. Uh, and kind of go into the, the the Russell names, some of the smaller tech names, who really are almost back to square one where they were at the end of 2022, uh, and they really just you know haven't had the same uh, good first half of the year that that the big tech names have. Yeah, but how's that going to happen if uh, you know everybody's worried about a recession and an economic slowdown? Th- those types of stocks aren't going to work in that in that narrative and environment, right? Well, we've, you know, we've climbed a wall of worry so far this year and, you know, every every week it's, a, it's something to worry about. I mean, we, we, we a few weeks ago we, we thought big tech was earnings were going to blow up and take the market down and if it was anything but. And so, I mean, that's another reason why, you know, I, I, I still think tech, big tech continues to work over the next few weeks and months because uh, there's just not a blow up in sight with their earnings. You know, then we got CPI worries. Now we have, you know, debt ceiling worries. And yet we continue to march higher. We got inflation now under 5%. So I think there are, you know, there are reasons to be optimistic that you know, we can continue to grind higher for, for the rest of the year. And it does become a broader-based rally. All right, let's broaden the conversation. Speaking of broader-based, bring in Kevin Gordon of Charles Schwab, Jordan Jackson of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. It's good to have uh, everybody with us today. Jordan, you first. Um, what about tech? Let's start there, because that's where we're really having the crux of this conversation is the Nasdaq has done better than everything else. Does that continue? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think there's some further downside to tech stocks from here. Obviously, they run up pretty significantly. But uh, as you sort of highlighted at the outset, uh, with the expectations for a recession, consumers coming under pressure, uh, I do think that um, uh, uh, there, there could be a little bit more pain being felt. You know, and, and also, when you look at the broader market, uh, big tech's been leading the rally. It's been the big names uh, that have allowed the market to really rally. The breadth uh, is quite narrow uh, at this point so far. And so I'm not sure about the durability of the broad market rally. Uh, and I do think that tech is going to continue to come. Well, well, we'll start to come under a bit of pressure, uh, given, given the outlook. What about you, Kevin? I mean, I agree. I think when you particularly would talk about the earnings backdrop, as you were just talking about, uh, Eric, the, you know, the fact that the earnings were less bad than expected, I think it's good, but it still doesn't change the fact that revisions have been more to the downside. So six months ago, the estimate for the tech sector was that you were going to see earnings growth upwards of 10% for 2023. Mm-hmm. That has now gotten revised down to almost negative 2%. So you, you have that component, and you have the fact of what Jordan was just saying, just a handful of names really leading the rally, which we've known for a while I know, now. But why is that so bad? I, I hear everybody say that, and, and I, then I've had others come on and say, you know what, I'm going to bust that myth right now, that this is somehow horrible for the market? I think it's the fact that, so we're now seven months from the October 12th low for the S&P, at least. At that moment, I mean, there were actually a lot of indicators that particularly we look at, sentiment-related, if you want to broaden it out to sort of the the larger stock universe, that actually looked pretty good um, in 
kind of consistent with what you tend to see at a major market low. But now that we're seven months off that point, the fact that you haven't had banks participate, the fact that small caps are really only up a few percentage points, you're not getting a lot of confirmation that you're entering a new durable bull cycle. So I think it's much more what the market's not confirming as opposed to trying to embrace some sort of rally and say it's fine that the mega caps are leading. I don't think that's necessarily the story. I think it's much more what's not moving and what's not working. But what's not moving and what's not working hasn't been moving and hasn't been working, and somehow the market is still hanging in there with a level of resiliency that surprised a lot of people. Oh, yeah, and it's concentration up the cap spectrum, the fact that you have you know the largest names really representing a huge chunk of the index. Even if you talk about a sector like tech, it's Apple, Microsoft making up more than 50% of that index. So if you're investing in a cap-weighted index like that, you're putting a lot of your money towards just two names, which in times like this, it makes sense. And, you know, by the way, the mega cap names like those uh, like those names have become sort of the pandemic defensive. So I think the knee-jerk reaction is still such that investors sort of flock back to those areas and they can look for stability there, which, you know, it's not unwarranted because they're typically higher in quality. They do now have a little bit of a benefit from the dollar rolling over. You mm-hmm. don't have as much of the FX headwind that you had last year. Um, and with earnings relatively stronger, um, maybe not as much on the guidance run across the board. But if, if that's the case for those names, then I, I think it makes sense why that's happening. We too top heavy. Jordan, do you have a problem with the fact that mega caps have made up an overwhelmingly large part of of where this market has come to? Uh, I I do. Um, Part of the reason is is the rate environment. You know, I certainly would uh, would argue that, sure, uh, big names, long duration equities can rally when rates were at zero percent, but they're not. And I don't think we're heading back down to zero anytime soon. Um, and so I worry that, you know, not only are they uh, the, the market rally has been very narrow, but uh, these valuations, uh, they're also the reason why valuations are relatively ele- elevated relative to where to where rates are. So um, you look at the, the outlook again, the, the, the forward guidance isn't isn't great. Um, and the expectations for a, a recession, as I mentioned, consumers coming under pressure. Sure. Uh, the dollar, given multinational exposure, uh, has uh, the fall in the dollar has provided a bit of a bounce. Um, but I just, again, I, for the durability of a broader rally, I just would like to see uh, sort of the rest of the market play, play a bit of catch up. Eric, I don't know. Do you, do you agree with this premise or, or not? No, uh, I'm going to argue against this. This is just a top heavy rally. I mean, obviously, these big tech names have done well. But the reason why it's top heavy is these names are so large as a percentage of whatever the indice that, that you want to point to. Um, so if they do well, you know, like, you know, like if they sort of dwarf the rest of the market. Now, you know, some of the names that we mentioned uh, earlier, Shopify, Uber, uh, you know, Coinbase, they've had even better years than, than the big tech names. I think you got to pick and choose. Um, you know, it's not just a, uh, you know, buy, buy the ETF for tech. I mean, you have to look for, for the winners. Um, however, I'll be the first to admit, you know, the Russell is negative on the year. You know, so it, it hasn't been, you know, a huge broad based rally. Uh, I would like to see that. But you got to start somewhere. And, you know, we've, we've got big tech leading the way. Um, I think it's going to lead to kind of others coming along for the ride as well. You know, Kevin, those who are negative on the markets, one of the first things they point to. Oh, my God, it's so top heavy. Look how concentrated it is. Everything else is so weak. That's representative of a market that's about to have a roll and about to roll hard. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily the top heaviness itself is not the catalyst to push you lower. I mean, it could be if you get a switch in momentum because those names have been doing so well, that just works against itself. But I think, you know, the cyclical tie in and sort of the signal you get from the lack of participation 
in the banking sector. I go back to that because, you know, every major market low since the 1930s, banks have always participated at this point when you've gotten off the low. Banks are down, as we all know. And so I think it's getting harder to divorce that from sort of the reality that we face a little bit later this year, which is more contraction in credit, sort of a slowing in the economy, which is also a feature of what the Fed is trying to do in quash inflation. Um, and, you know, for names that are in that big tech or tech-like moniker, because not all the names are in the tech sector themselves, but they're not impervious to drawdowns. Um, and when we look back at history and you look at the ratios of, you know, the large caps versus the rest of the market, whatever indexes you want to use, it doesn't last in perpetuity where you get that kind of outperformance. So that's, it's not the reason that you go lower, but it is a risk, especially because, you know, a lot of people hold those names. They represent such a large part of the market. And when it reverses, it tends to happen pretty quickly. How negative are you on the market? I mean, do you think we're going back? I've had everybody, you know, anything this week from we're going back to the October lows, 3,500 to... I you know, no, we're going I, back to 3,800. It wouldn't surprise me to go back there, but I also don't know because this is such a unique cycle. And even if you look back, I think what's tripped up investors a lot in this current cycle as it pertains to the market and the Fed and then also the economy. If you go back to the three prior major hiking cycles we had for the Fed, so the 2000s leading into the financial crisis, into the tech bust, um, and then before that, stocks rallied as the Fed was raising rates. As we all know, last year, stocks got crushed while the Fed was raising rates. So now you have the question of, is the pause good for stocks? Are the cuts good for stocks? I think that's what's tripped people up a bit in trying to figure out if October was the low. In my opinion, if you don't get in a fundamental sense, confirmation from cyclical areas of the market, if they stay down and or move lower, then I think you get more of a weaker signal for the market itself. Um, and I think, you know, our view's always been that it would have been better to pull forward the start of the actual for, you know, formal recession because that would sort of confirm that October maybe was the low. You would get more of a confirmation that stocks could see through it. The actual risk in the bear market for the bear case for the market is that you push the recession out because that would mean that you have this interim lift and then it sort of has to work itself down from there in pricing in more of a recession. Risk. Unless, Jordan, you just never get a recession that somehow, whether it's miraculous or not, we pull off this soft landing thing because the labor market has remained so overwhelmingly strong to the point that most are shocked by 500 basis points of, of hikes within 13 months and the unemployment rate has moved lower. Well, the labor market is the last shoe to fall. Um, it's really once the labor market finally comes under pressure, that is when you're in the recession. Um, but when you look at some of the forward indicators, uh, part of the reason why the unemployment rate is so low is because of just a lack of available workers. And so this excess demand for labor, the roughly 9.5 million available jobs, that's going to take some time to work itself down. And, and I'd argue that, you know, once we get to that sort of six and a half, six million job openings number closer in line to the aggregate number of unemployed persons in the economy, uh, that's when we'll start to see a more material move higher in, in the unemployment rate. You know, you also add on top of this that the banking stresses. You know, one of the things that I'm particularly concerned about is when you look at the makeup of the workforce, roughly slightly over a majority of the workforce, about 53 percent of private employers, uh, employees are employed at firms that have 500 or fewer employees. Now, these, these, these small businesses, they bank at local and, and regional community banks. Um, and given the stresses that we're seeing uh, in the sector, you know, you argue a small business, maybe they have six to nine months work, worth of operating cash flow, they're going to have to start ta tapping these community banks for uh, extending some of their credit to keep their door doors open. And if the availability of credit has become more restrictive, 
and the cost of credit has gotten more restrictive as well, uh, then that suggests they have to start laying people off. And, and that's where you get that broader uh, uh, reaching uh, a weakness in the labor force, the uptick in the unemployment rate, maybe the job openings number comes down a lot more uh, quicker uh, than analysts anticipate over the next couple of months. So uh, I'm particularly concerned. I think this, this leads the Fed into having to cut rates before, before the end of the year. So I have a slightly more pessimistic uh, uh, outlook. Um, uh, just given, you know, just given everything we're seeing playing out. <laughs> you're, you're being generous to yourself. I'm just saying. Eric Jackson, finish it up for us. I mean, I, I think there's there's uh, certainly a good chance that the big tech names could tread water for the rest of the year. Uh, the, heck, the whole economy could tread water for the next year or two. Um, but I think we can muddle through. And I think even if the economy is is you know, ch chugging through this mud, or there's an uptick in unemployment. Uh, there's no reason why there are a lot of stocks out there that have been, you know, penalized and marked down that can't do well over the next year or so. So, I, I think you got to look for those names. You got, you know, take it, take it, uh, you know, case by case. Uh, but I think there are lots of bargains lying around for for people to take a look at. All right, good stuff, guys. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a good weekend, Eric. We'll see you soon, Jordan. You as well. Kevin, thank you again for Thanks, being here. Uh, Post 9, let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We want to know, are you more bullish on Tesla now that Twitter has a new CEO? Yes or no? Head to at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter to vote. We'll share the results a little later on in the hour. We're just getting started, though. Still ahead, Morgan Stanley's Chris Toomey highlighting the one sector he thinks is priced to perfection. He'll make the case coming up. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. we got 35 minutes left to go in the trading week. Let's get a check on some top stocks to watch as we head into the close. Pippa Stevens is here with that. Pips. Hey, Scott. Well, News Corp is outperforming today after the media giant beat estimates on earnings and revenue, thanks in part to cost cuts, including layoffs. The company also saw gains in subscriptions to its publications like The Wall Street Journal and Sunday Times. Ad revenues, though, did decrease 6 percent year over year, with the company noting pullbacks from the technology and finance industries. 
On the earnings call, CEO Robert Thompson saying generative AI may pose a challenge to the company's intellectual property while calling for the appropriate compensation. Elsewhere, Charles Schwab is a bright spot in financials after the brokerage firm reported that its total client assets rose to $7.63 trillion. That's up 1% from the month prior and 5% from last year, though shares up about 2%. Scott? All right, Pippa. Thank you. That's Pippa Stevens. Investors gearing up for a big week of retail earnings. Melissa Repko is here with a rundown of what to watch. We go. We got Target, Walmart, Home Depot, right? Yes. Hey, Scott, big week ahead. The big question is, how is the consumer holding up? Walmart is on tap first. It reports Wednesday, or it's one of the first, and it's expected to be in the strongest position. Nearly 60% of its U.S. sales come from groceries, and that's a category people need even when the budget's tight. Target, on the other hand, is more vulnerable with discretionary categories like apparel, with only about 20% of its annual revenue coming from groceries. And even the grocery aisle is under pressure. Pandemic SNAP benefits expended in, ended in March, according to Numerator. More shoppers are buying fewer groceries and trading down. And for Home Depot, the spring home improvement season could boost sales, but falling home prices and higher interest rates remain a risk, Scott. All right. Melissa, thank you. It's going to be a big week. Take the temperature of the American consumer, see where we're at amid some reports that even at the high end, Starting to cut back a little on spending. Melissa Repko up next. Priced for perfection. That is what Morgan Stanley's Chris Toomey is calling one very important sector in this market. He'll tell you exactly what he means, what it is. And throughout the month of May, CNBC is celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage, sharing stories of influential AAPI business leaders. Here's the Notori Company president, Ken Notori. We're incredibly proud to be celebrating our 46th anniversary as an Asian-founded and led independent family business. One of the reasons we've had so much staying power over the years is because we have celebrated and broadcast our Asian roots. It permeates everything we do, from our East meets West design aesthetic, to our core values, to even our supply chain. One of our differentiating factors is that we have a family-owned factory in the Philippines where we manufacture the majority of our in-house collections. The fashion business has never been easy, but we're going to stay authentic to who we are, and we hope our message will continue to resonate with our customers. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Solid earnings, a leap forward in AI the past month. Pretty good for tech, but the trade could be priced for perfection now, warns our next guest. He runs one of the highest rated private wealth advisory teams in the country at Morgan Stanley. He's Chris Toomey, and he's back here at Post 9. So it's priced to perfection, priced for perfection now? Yeah, I would say almost the whole market is right now. I think everyone got excited about what was happening with earnings, but this was the whole Wall Street game going into the year. Expectations were earnings going down 4%. April 6th, earnings were expected to go down 16%, right? And so if we're down 8%, that looks like a beat, when in reality, the trend still is very negative. Sure, but if, it's, if the trend isn't as negative as some were 
you know, calling for, that's a whole different ballgame, potentially. Right. But then you also have to look at what the market's priced for right now, right? So if you look at the price of the market right now, it's over 18 times in a situation where we now officially are going into an earnings recession. And there is a 50-50 chance, depending on which way you look, as to whether or not we're going into an actual economic recession. So in that environment, you know, do you really want to put an 18 times multiple on the market? Probably not. Well, maybe you want to maybe you're willing to put a higher multiple on the most mega of mega cap tech names because you still want to go for quality. If you have to be invested, you still want to go for quality, right? Still want to go where the money is and you still want to play a little defense. And if you can do all three in that space, why not? Well, why not is is because if we are going into an economic recession, you're going to have a problem, right? So, I mean, if we remember the story, the beginning of the year, economic data is looking better, inflation's coming down, we have no landing or soft landing, mm-hmm. and so equally weighted, the S&P 500 looked really good. Then we had this whole situation where the data started turning, and then the banks really had a problem, and you saw that two-year crash, right? And then this, all of a sudden, when rates are crashing, you also get the sense that long-duration assets are going to do well. So you had people running into tech, which I could say is that sequential next domino with regards to the market falling out. The market doesn't fall out, though, unless big tech falls out. Big tech has right? to come down. It, it, it can't because it's such a huge component to the underlying economy. I'm just right? wondering what it makes you think that it's going to with all of the... Now, granted, it may be overhyped in terms of AI. However, maybe that's the game changer that some suggest that it is, and you're only going to... You're just getting started with some of these stocks, even ones that have doubled, like Meta, for example. There was a positive note from one firm out today suggesting this is just the beginning, this turn. Right. But I think the thing is, is I don't think the technology industry is immune from the overall economy. Right. And I think if you talk about what's being priced into the market right now, what's being priced into the market are four rate hikes and 200 basis points of cuts. Right. And so I think you've got door number one and door number two, and both are not good options. Right. Door number one, we have those rate cuts. The reason for those rate cuts is that there is clear confirmation with regards to the fact that the economy is really in a recession and we need those rate cuts, right? That's door number one. Door number two is we don't get those rate cuts, the market's pricing them, and the market's going to have to come down and reevaluate the fact that we didn't get that 200 basis points of cuts. And then taking a look at that scenario, you go back to your friend, Professor Siegel, who is now demanding that we get those rate cuts. Otherwise, we're going to see a really messy market. Let me ask you this question, because some people have suggested this, that rate cuts. Now, I know you say, well, they're only going to cut rates if, if we're falling apart. Rate cuts are always bullish. Tell me why they're not. Tell me why they're not. Well, I'm not talking about in the first, you know, five minutes or the first five days. Tell me why they're not. Well, typically, if the yield curve is inverted, the economy is going down, typically that means that we're cutting rates for a very specific reason. We're not in a situation where we're in this economy that's growing rapidly, which is a situation where we actually have to cut rates in order to keep the economy going. This is a situation where we are turning lower and we need these rate cuts to keep the economy from really going much lower. So in my mind, I think the thing is, is we need something that's going to preempt those rate cuts and that preemption is going to be negative for earnings and pull down stock values. Sure, but I mean, ultimately, like, you know, 08, 09, when the Fed starts cutting rates, obviously the environment's still pretty bad. 
ultimately it ends up being one of the greatest bull markets in the history of bull markets, I, if not the best ever. But after after the shakeout, right? So we haven't had that shakeout. Well, we had a pretty good shakeout last year. Well, so that's a good point. So if we look at if we look at the performance over the last year, okay, S and P five hundred on a price per, price percentage basis, uh, three and a quarter, okay, without dividends. The rolling U.S. three-month treasuries, 365. So you actually did better just rolling treasuries over that period with Ukraine, with China being closed, with nine rate hikes. And so if you include dividends, you made an extra 1.5% for riding that roller coaster. In my mind, in this situation, you're collecting almost 5 or 6% sitting in cash waiting for this to roll over. I think that, to me, is a better trade than rolling the dice in a situation where market multiples are very high. So you always ask me, what would I need in order to change my view with regards right. to getting long the market? I always say price. That's not a fair comparison. You want the other answer, which is we need to see earnings then above $245, which I don't think you're going to get in the next 12 months. I just want to know, you know, those who have been negative and right sit here and the market's been much more resilient than they've expected. I mean, we have another day of it here where you start down, you kind of do nothing. And then as you head towards the close, you try and work your way back into, into positive territory. Is there some point where the train gets far enough away from the station that there's that fear of missing out factor that puts more cash on the sidelines into the market? Well, I mean, I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing that climbing the wall of worry. We see people dipping their toes. And I think where they're dipping their toes is typically that quality trade in technology. But I think that's also kind of weak hands, right? So when the market starts to sell out, that's the money that's going to be coming out quickest, right? And that's where I think you start to see the market getting closer to kind of that 3,600 level, which is where I think there you can start looking to add exposure. Your clients, real quick, are they worried about the debt ceiling? Are they calling you, asking you, what's, what do you think is going to happen? Think, yeah, of course everything is. I mean, if you've got a former president on national TV talking about, you know, you know, not budging and defaulting on debt, I don't think that's very good. I think if you look at it in a situation, one thing people aren't talking about is looking at U.S. debt, CDS. If you look at CDS, credit default swaps on U.S. debt, it's worse than most emerging market countries. It's worse than it was in 2011. I think it's the widest since 08. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worse than 08. And it's not affecting the equity market. In my mind, I think that's also another issue that you have to worry about. All right. Good stuff, as always. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Chris Toomey uh, from Morgan Stanley Private Wealth. Up next, we're tracking the biggest movers as we head into the close. Pippa Stevens is back with that, Pippa. Hey, Scott. One solar stock is shining bright. We'll have all the details coming up next. We have less than 20 minutes to go before the closing bell. Let's get back to Pippa Stevens, who's watching the key stocks at yeah, this Scott. very moment. Pippa. Yeah, hey, Scott. Starting here with First Solar, which is surging more than 25% today, making it the S&P 500's top performer by a wide margin. The pop comes after the Treasury Department issued proposed guidelines around what qualifies for the Inflation Reduction Act's 10% domestic content tax credit. Now, investors had been waiting for clarification on how the bonus credit would be applied. And First Solar is the only sizable domestic panel manufacturer, and so is a clear beneficiary. The company is adding new capacity, although has said it is sold out through 2026. Meantime, Twilio shares taking a hit after Mizuho cut the stock to neutral from buy, the firm citing near-term macro challenges as well as lower growth. The stock is now down more than 10 percent on the week, following Twilio's earnings report on Tuesday, where the company issued weaker-than-expected revenue guidance 
Twilio pointing to weakness from customers in social media, e-commerce, and cryptocurrency businesses. Scott? All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens, last chance to weigh in on our Twitter question. We asked, are you more bullish on Tesla now that Twitter has a new CEO? You can head to at CNBC Closing Bell on Twitter. Vote. The results are next. The results of our Twitter question. We asked you more bullish on Tesla. Now that Twitter has a new CEO, the majority of you saying no, we're not. It's kind of surprising. Up next, the regional bank's rocky week. Now, investors are closely watching the balance sheet data out in overtime. Trust me, they are. They can't wait for the balance sheet data. The key figures to look out for in the balance sheet data, what it might mean for the broader market. That and much more when we take you inside the market zone. All right, we're now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down the crucial moments of this trading day. Plus, Jessica Inskip of Options Play highlights the key technical levels we should be watching. Leslie Picker setting the stage for some especially critical data on the health of the banking system. We'll get to everybody in just a moment. We start with Mike Santoli first. What have we learned, if anything, after yet another week where we stayed in this range? In this range, uh, I think familiarity breeds contempt, right? That's one of those sayings where I think this market at this level, we've been able to chew through it multiple times, and I think it's creating a little more skepticism or anxiety than it is comfort, Uh, just because it seems precarious. And I will grant that. If you look at lots of parts of the market that usually are risk appetite indicators, they're not really flashing uh, a friendly signal. If you look at the the Russell 2000, it's kind of barely staying above these levels that might uh, actually get people to think that we were uh, kind of cracking below a multi-year range. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, The the constant discussion about the top heaviness of this rally this year, I think, also has people feeling as if there's something illegitimate about where the market is, whereas I think it's more reflective of the environment. Sure, of course There's the is. Russell 2000. So that doesn't look great. That's over a, a three-year period. Uh, but then you have this, NASDAQ 100 against the equal-weighted S&P 500. On a year-to-date basis, the NASDAQ 100 is destroying everything else. You go back, this, you go back three years, and it shows you that it's a catch-up move mostly. That does not look like a market that's badly out of balance, uh, but it has to change soon if you're going to keep from getting dangerously uh, lopsided. I do think that's the case. So what have we learned? Inflation is still on the downswing, but maybe not decisively so. Uh, The Fed is not going to tell you it's done, but it's more likely than not done. And uh, the the leading indicators of, of recession remain in place, even if Uh, The absolute activity levels aren't going down and earnings are kind of flattening out as opposed to really backsliding. Market also seems more willing to uh, reward, so to speak, than punish, you know, AI players. I I mentioned Alphabet, perfect example, was getting a lot of heat. Here it is up 10 percent this week. It, absolutely. It, it's the one thing that really can create an open-ended uh, upside story. And I think, you know, for better or worse, that's happening. Although with Alphabet, again, it's a little more of a catch-up move. It doesn't look like Apple over the last year. It actually has been a bad underperformer. So uh, it's been at these levels not that long ago. So I can kind of get why it's filtering in. But um, look, it doesn't seem like we're at a point where you can start to check off the boxes of things that would make you more confident that we're in some kind of enduring uptrend, even though uh, I feel like the market has proven that you don't have aggressive sellers at this level yet market-wide. And maybe it is because we might get a pause. You might get some statement on policy that's going to help out the banks. 
might, might need that, actually, because uh, the banks, I, I totally agree, uh, have not cooperated uh, with this idea that there's not much to worry about. Yeah, we'll see what happens with them next week. It's kind of day to day to figure out where, where that sector is going. Jessica Inskip, are, are you one of those who looks at what's happened with mega cap tech and, and gives you a negative overall bias on, on where you think the market is? And not necessarily. I think mega cap tech is what's propping up the markets and supports that narrative of a range bound market. You know, we came into this earnings season with the bar set really low with the most negative guidance since Q3 of 2019. But if we look at the commentary from earnings reports, the word AI was utilized up 64% year over year, and that's going back to 2005. And so that tells me, even though consumers are really loving AI and artificial intelligence, it's something that can be applied across every single vertical, helps with macro headwinds and that tight labor market, increasing productivity to bring equilibrium. So it's something that companies can utilize as well, even though we may not see an increase in CapEx spending, it's a necessity that helps support the the larger narrative of a range bound market. I know you're watching too this what I guess you could call a disconnect between the debt ceiling duel and the price action of the market. That, that's right. If there was really any large, broader concern, we would see that within the market. And we certainly, certainly do not. Um, I think it's so interesting if we look at the broader S&P 500. And I think Jay Woods actually said this best. Sideways is a direction. We are not making higher highs. We are coming up against resistance and those support levels. However, we are making higher lows, which is indicative of an upwards trend. And that support right now is 4,100. That 11.28 lower high. The lower level of support is 3,900, which is the 26 weekly moving average. And then the lower high that's needed to sustain and not drop below before we have a really bad situation is actually 3,800. So we have some cushion until we run into that room where I would exercise a lot of caution. All right. Good stuff, Jessica. Thank you. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you soon. Leslie Picker, there was that sluice report. And now there's the balance sheet data, and all of it is very important. It is very important, Scott, and I appreciate your enthusiasm. Enthusiasm In about 20 minutes or so, we get the Fed's H8 data that gives us a snapshot of the deposit levels among U.S. banks. This data will be helpful in qualifying customer sentiment uh, after a mixed read from some regional banks yesterday. If you recall, PacWest said in a filing its deposits declined 9.5% last week, with most withdrawals occurring on May 4th and 5th as customers grew spooked by the recent sell-off in its stock price, which is down about another 5% today. Western Alliance, though, on the other hand, said deposits actually grew $600 million since May 2nd. Goldman put out its deposit rate monitor this morning saying that rate increases have been slowing across banks even as outflows continue. Deposit levels, deposit rate levels at big banks, or sorry, deposit levels are down 2% month on month, while at smaller banks, they're down 1%. A greater number of regionals and large cap banks are raising rates for CDs in an attempt to keep more deposits from leaving, although savings and checking rates still remain quite low by historical standards. So still some time to catch up there, Scott. Yeah. And I feel like, Leslie, I mean, I, I guess you assume that you're going to be covering these regional banks for the foreseeable future uh, until, yeah. you know, I don't know, whether the government comes out and makes some explicit guarantee on deposits. We're, we're going to have these stories almost every day. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I was a teller in a regional bank, so I'm, I will gladly cover this story, um, you know, given that personal backdrop there. But no, you're right. And, you know, there are a multitude of factors here. We're looking ahead to next week. There are a couple of uh, Senate hearings that involve both the Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank leaders or former leaders at this point, and also the regulators to really home in on kind of what led to those downfalls and whether they've really ring-fenced the issue moving forward. But until there is more clarity, especially on the regulatory front, uh, you know, we're going to continue to, to cover this and every headline has the potential to move markets. Yeah, and as, as you have all week uh, and, and well, I might add. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, enjoy the weekend. To you, Mike Santoli, two-minute warning. Yeah. And here we go again, right? This resilient market, as, as almost every day it feels like, yeah. no matter what happens earlier in the day, this last hour of trade offers something pretty interesting towards the close. It has. Um, part of it, I do think, is that real money, uh, people with long-term time horizons, don't have high conviction or at least don't see reasons to change their stance very radically based on what's incoming because we do seem trapped in a range. And what that means is, on a day-to-day -day basis, you're kind of in the hands of very short-term tactical players. And the main effect there, when people are kind of having these waves of the single-day options go in and out of the market, is mean reversion. It's, we sold them in the morning, we're buying them back later or we sold them and the market makers have to hedge against it. So that's a small, uh, I think, explanation for why we do have this intraday move. But also, you have the offsetting currents that are still at play, which is the, the, the mega caps are not falling apart, although they're underperforming today. Yeah. And so now you have a little bit of relief on the average stock uh, out there. And, uh, you know, the banks down something like 35% on a three-month basis. It almost never gets worse. It's gotten worse at the bottom of COVID really quick, and it got worse in the global financial crisis on a three-month basis. It's almost close your eyes and buy time, except before you get to the actual bottom, a lot bad can happen. And you're not seeing the credit markets flare up in a nasty way the way you did those prior other times. It's very unique. Everyone's concerned about the liability side of the banks, the deposits as opposed to the assets at this point. That's very different from other uh, sort of perceived banking crisis. Oh, I want to wish everybody a good weekend as we work back towards the flat line, at least on the Dow. may get there, too. Have a good one. I'll see everybody next week. Over time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.